Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello again, I'm John Gidley, and welcome to another trip into the football attic. Continuing with my uh, interview series, I am pleased to be joined tonight by the senior editor of the Giant Insider publication, of which I am a proud contributor, and he is the biggest fan of the New York football giants that I know, and he is Jerry Foley. Jerry, welcome. John, thanks for having me. It's an honor, bud. Thank you. So, uh, take me back. How did you how did you become a fan of the Giants? Is it something that was uh, passed on from preceding generations? Interesting. So I'll give you something that a lot of people don't know. Um, early on, and I've written about this, so it's not that much of a secret to subscribers. Uh, early on, you know, when you're trying to annoy your father, um, you don't really like his team sometimes, right? You just want to be the adversary. So I will say this. When I was five years old, someone bought me a Wilbur Montgomery jersey. And I would wear it around and try to piss off my father. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't really love the Eagles. I just wore the jersey because that was the only jersey I had. And, then, yeah. you know, jerseys back then weren't like today. Like you got a jersey back then. It like, you know, it was, it was kind of, it, it seemed more rare for mm-hmm. some reason. Um, but I was at a, a, I don't know if it was a, one of those post-wake Irish Catholic things that people have. But I was at something, an event in 19... 19- early 1982 and I was at this time around I think I was by that time I was seven years old early 82 and I remember my dad's side of the family making fun of him because the Giants were losing to the 49ers and mm-hmm. they were Jets Eagles they were all different you know fans and I remember it was almost like Michael Corleone with his father and I just said I'm with you now and that was it like from then on I was Giants Rangers Yankees and, and that was it so didn't really, I always, you know, as a, as a little kid, I was like the Yankees, I think. But for football, it really wasn't until that time where I just got really mad at everyone making fun of my old man. And I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be a Giants fan here. And uh, that was it, man. That was it. I wanted to like the teams my father liked. So mm-hmm. Off and go. running. Uh, so you, you became a fan a couple of years before they really took off the, the dynasty of, of the 80s and early 90s. Uh, that must have been, I can't imagine a more exciting time to be a fan than that era. Yeah, my first year, the, the first year that I remember watching every single game was 83 when they were 312 and 1. Mm-hmm. And then from like 84 on, it was just fun. Like 312 and 1, you know, I, I, would, I would try and convince people that Rob Carpenter, and I was a stupid little kid, that was Rob Carpenter was better than John Riggins. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, just an idiot. But yeah, I, from then on, man, it was a blast. Like, like I say on the podcast, Sundays are giant days. It was, it was an event at our house. And it was, it was my dad, it was, you know, Sunday mass and then the giants were on and that was it. It was me my dad and my sister. And we watched every single game, never missed a minute. Which of the, of the two early Super Bowl victories, if you could pick 
which was more fulfilling or exciting, 86 or 90? I always remember your first, John. Yeah. But, uh, you know, for my father, I was happy for 86 just because I had understood by then how long he was a fan and suffered and there were some bad teams. But, you know, in 90, I was in high school and having, you know, going to a Super Bowl party to watch the game and then Norwood missed. Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard for anything to beat 86, but 1990 was really exciting too. It's, I'd have to say 86 was a little better than 90, but 90 was like a, you know, you're, you're in high school, you're a junior in high school, it's a formative years. And I just remembered the event that the Super Bowl party was with all these giant fans around, so. Uh, and then the, the other two more recent victories, 07 and 2011, I guess 07 might've been a, a little better simply because the Patriots were undefeated. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the way they won with Tyree and um, just, it was insane. You saw how good the defense was coming on, but it, Eli Manning kind of came into his own at, at, really out of nowhere. He did. And well, the defense, that's one of the better performances in, in Super Bowl or playoff history, considering they held a team, Tom Brady threw what, 50 touchdown passes that season. Randy Moss caught like 24 of them and they're held to 14 points. Really just unbelievable. And see, that's what I mean. You're the one who's going to rattle off their stats from <laughs> like, so, so not random, but like you would know it. Uh, yeah. And it was weird, man. Cause I, I thought that the biggest obstacle for them were the Cowboys. And I thought if they can beat the Dallas Cowboys, they beat, they beat them twice that year, and they, 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 they soundly beat them. I mean, they, you know, I don't know what the, the final scores were. You probably know. Uh, but, you know, I remember being at Giant Stadium and thinking, man, they were just outclassed today. But I thought if they beat the Cowboys, they have a shot. Once they beat the Cowboys, it was like, they can do this. And I, I wasn't afraid of, of Lambeau Field and how old, you know, Brett Favre was at the time. And then they beat them, and you thought, man, they, they played the Patriots – great in week 17 mm -hmm. they could take this team and the defense and like guys like justin tuck were just coming into their own so you just felt like you know what they can do this and i i, I felt pretty confident going in that the game was at least going to be close was that last regular season game against the patriots were the giants already in the playoffs yes yeah it meant okay nothing. so yeah, it meant nothing that's the well that that's what people have been comparing it to uh giants fans of course are up in arms about what happened with the eagles in week 17 comparing it to, well, the Eagles had nothing to play for, but they still could have knocked off a rival, you know, even if it meant yeah. uh, bringing one rival into the playoffs, it would still mean, you know, keeping one of your other rivals out of the playoffs uh, in stark contrast to the Giants playing, giving the Patriots everything they had in that last game of the year. Yeah. And, and I actually tweeted that. So I, I kind of made that comparison myself and I know the situation was a little different, but um, yeah, the Giants, you know, Coughlin played it the right way, and, and, and the message that John Madden left him afterwards kind of validated it, right? Like, this is the way you play the game. Giants had nothing to play for other than to try and knock off the Patriots. And, you know, Coughlin, he said, to, he said I, I can't just sit guys and who's going to play, who's not going to play. Well, let's just go for it. And I thought it helped them. I thought if they, if they had sat players, it, the whole – obviously the whole thing would have turned out differently. So Coughlin played it honorably, played it the right way, and, and it worked out for them. So – Four Super Bowl victories, but uh, there have been uh, a couple of heartbreaks in between, uh, which uh, I'm, I'm sure there were some that were that just really gutted you. Yeah. Oh, God. I can think of three. The 88 Altoon game where I, I think Mark Collins wasn't playing or got hurt. Tom Flynn was in, who was a really good special teams player. But, you know, that 88 team was pretty good. And they didn't make the playoffs at 10 and 60. That was, the, that was the first of the Eagles winning the division. Mm -hmm. And they beat the Giants twice that year. 
Um, 2002, the, the playoff game against the 49ers, that collapse oh. was horrific. Trey Junkin. Um, and we were just talking about it last night on our podcast. Like, yeah, Trey Junkin, but like, you know, the defense gave up 39 points. I think it was 39, 39, 38 or 42. I forget what it was. But Shockey dropping that touchdown, you just felt the momentum change. Like they had to kick a field goal there when he had an easy touchdown. He catches that ball, game's over. But you just felt as a Giants fan like, oh, man, that was bad. That might come back and bite us. And it did. Um, and then the obviously, come on, you're going to do this to me, but the uh, Deshaun Jackson game. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. The, what, what can you do? That was another year, right? They went 10 and 6 and, uh, yeah, and missed. They didn't make it. Yeah, they didn't make it. And, then, and then, yeah, they won a Super Bowl at 9 and 7. So – Twice, it's, it's, right? Or was the 07 no, team 10 and 6? No, the 07 team was 10 and 6, but the, the 11 team was 9 and 7. Mm-hmm. And even the 2012 team was 9 and 7, and they didn't make the playoffs. But, yeah, that, that Deshaun Jackson game. And the worst part about that was the Giants still controlled their own fate, but it was such a blow. They went into to Green Bay, got smoked the next week, mm-hmm. and then they beat the Redskins to finish 10 and 6. So, yeah, just um, I would say those three games were the ones that really stick out. How did the Giant Insider come to be? So it was a publication in the 90s. And I don't know if it was born out of Giants Extra, but Ken Palmer was the old editor. And I would write in seemingly every week, just (laughs) writing into Ken. And I got to know him and said, hey, man, can I ever get a column? And he's like, I'll give you a chance one day. I said, all right, never thought anything more about it. And then one day I I did a tour of MetLife Stadium and it was 2010. Uh, My daughter was at a dance competition in the Meadowlands and I wanted to kill time. So I walked over to the, to the stadium and did, they did a tour and I wrote an article about the tour and he, and, and Ken Palmer said, can you do this every week? And I said, yeah. So it started there. And then he brought me on full time the following year. I think that was, what well, was actually two, I'm sorry. So that was 2012. It was the after the Super Bowl. Um, I, I went on that tour. So it was 2013. He brought me on as a staff writer. And then um, after that, he was like, write more and more. And I did. And then, few years ago he said hey I'm gonna step aside you want to be the editor and I was like well what does that entail he's like not much more than you're doing now which it does <laughs> I mean it's looking at everyone's and you're you're cor- it's like you're correcting papers every week mm-hmm. and you're correcting your own which is a lot harder than I ever thought it would be um I, I, oddly enough most of the mistakes I find are with myself because I know what I want to say but and I'm, I'm reading it as I'm saying it but when I look at other people's it's a lot easier so long story short he gave me a chance and and I've just you know it's kind of taken a life of its own with with you know, with Chris Bizignano and I, so. Yeah, and the podcast recently, so. Yep. Uh, give, me a, give me an appraisal of the Giants right now. How do, what do you think about their future? Very bright. I love Philly's own Joe Judge, Lansdale Catholic. Um, he is indeed. Yeah, I mean, look, they, they have the right guy. It, it's they, a couple years ago, and again, we were talking about this last night, they had so many positions for the draft that you just, it's like, you don't, other than running back, it was take whatever you want because we need help everywhere. And this was 2000. It was the Daniel Jones draft. So you're like, oh, my God, quarterback, defensive line, uh, secondary, wide receiver, you name it, offensive line. They, they needed help everywhere. This year, it's like, you know what? In free agency, they can do some damage, and they, they still need a wide out. They need um, an edge rusher, probably a cornerback too. But although Julian Love looked good the last two games, we wish he had a shot before. Um, and you know what? Still offensive line. And I'll be honest with you, man, tight end. I know Evan Ingram made the Pro Bowl, but they need an upgrade. So it's down to about five positions that they need, three of which are absolutely crucial, I think, in, in wide receiver, edge rusher. And I think tight end is, is critical that they do something there. So, 
you think Jones is the guy at quarterback? It, I, I hope so. I can't judge him after this year being that the line was so inconsistent. And, I mean, the Giants receivers had the worst separation in the league. They were, they were so inconsistent. It's very hard to judge him. What I loved was the Dallas game where maybe the numbers weren't eye-popping, but I thought it was his best game, not only this – other than the Tampa Bay game from last year. I thought it was his best game as a pro. He was, he was more careful with the ball this year. So he did improve in that aspect. Like, he doesn't fumble as much. He's not as careless with the interceptions. So they got to give him one more chance, and they have to put some talent around him before they can determine if he is the guy or not. But the, the franchise is all in with him. So even if we don't think he is, the Maras love him. And the other thing is Barkley was gone for right. basic, basically the entire year. He was done yeah, in week yeah. two. And everybody forgets about it. I do too. Like, you forget about the fact that, you know, Wayne Gallman, he didn't really even get a shot till later in the season. So it was, you know, it was, they brought in Devo- uh, was it Devontae Freeman they brought in for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and brought in Alfred Morris and – and they brought in Dion. It was like, oh man, like give Gallman a chance. So he didn't really get going or even get a shot till this year. And you know, without Barkley, I mean, the, the offense just was brutal. Absolutely it was brutal. Well, it was. Uh, Giant fans on Twitter, anytime they wear the the throwback uh, from the '80s, the white uniforms, where instead of NY on the helmet, it says Giants. They love that. Would you like to see that as, make a return full time, or do you like the current ones? No, I'd love that to come back, but I'd also like the blue uniforms with that Giants to come back. But oddly enough, they've lost every game since they've done that, the color rush. So every really? time, look it up, and you're, you're better at this than I am. Every time they've worn those jerseys, they've worn them a few times against the Eagles. They've lost them all. Um, Dallas, I think it's Eagles and Dallas are the two teams. And then this year against the Bucks, they, they lost. So they've never won with those coming back, even though Giant fans love them. What about the red jerseys? Hated them. Hated them. <laughs> I, I actually emailed the Giants about them. And I'm like, guys, get rid of these things. They're terrible. Of course, I bought one because I'm a buffoon. I, I, had a, I, had a, I had a red seahorn years ago. Oh, God. The only red, the only red Giants, the only like red jersey I would wear now is like when we're on the beach, when I'm on the beach and I'm playing with all the, you know, I'm the permanent quarterback for all the kids. The red jersey yeah. means you don't touch the quarterback. So you got a lot of memorabilia back there. Which do yeah. you think is the most valuable? I have a seat from the polo grounds that's really that's, that's at it that's not in sight. Um, I also have there's a couple things right, and I I'm a an idiot with this stuff. I love it. Um, a seat from the polo grounds with the end with the old baseball giants logo on the seat. That's that's a difference maker, right? Because some of them are just bars, but I have that one. Yeah. Um, I have the program from 1925, the Red Grange game. That was probably the most important game in Giants history in that they were in the, the red, uh, sort of, uh, oddly, oddly enough, the red. Um, <laughs> and then the, the Maras went out to Chicago. I think it was Tim and Jack Mara. It was Wellington's father and brother. And they got back. And I, I think the story is Wellington Mara asked them, did we get Red Grange? And they said, well, sort of. But he, they played the Giants at the Meadowlands, or I'm sorry, at the Polo Grounds. And Red Grange was like, uh, Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, or Deion Sanders, or you know, name whoever you want that's going to mm-hmm. attract a crowd. He was that guy back then. Polo Grounds had so many tickets sold, and the Giants were in the black from then on. So that program is, is the most crucial, I think, even more so than the first one in Giants history. I have the, the program from uh, December 7th, 1941, uh, Pearl, Harbor. Pearl Harbor Day. I have, um, uh, I have both Giants who passed away in World War II, I have their autographs. So look, man, I've, I've been collecting a long time. I was fortunate that my parents got me a lot 
when I was younger. I, I was a slam dunk at like Christmas and birthdays. Like, oh yeah, what do you get me? Anything Giants, right? You're, you know, to a lesser extent, Rangers and Yankees. But yeah, I would say those pieces are probably the, you know, they're the most valuable, also most important. Like, I love the fact that something from the Polo Grounds is in my house. Like, that's, I, I love it. Oh, it's amazing. And that's got to be like almost 100 years old now. Well, yeah, they, they redid the, this Polo Grounds burned down a couple of times. And I, I believe it, it was like 1911 or 12 when they erected the, the newest version of it. Mm-hmm. And they put those seats in. So yeah, it's over 100 years old. I think that was the year because the Yankees were moving in from uh, Hilltop Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, if you look this up, you'll remember it right away. But they, 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 they moved out of Hilltop Park. They moved to the Polo Grounds. And I think it was like a return favor because the Polo Grounds had burned down. And I think the Giants had played at Hilltop Park for a season. But anyway, it was around that time that they rebuilt the Polo Grounds. So I, that seat's from then. So That is amazing. Yeah, and it's funny. It's, it's, it's green now because in the, like right before the Mets moved in, they painted the seats green, which never made any sense to me. The, the Mets are not green. No, they're, they're not. Well, what were they before? They were uh, orange and, and, uh, and gray and black, kind of like the, um, the, the Giants color, the baseball Giants colors. Mm-hmm. So you can see some of the paint on the iron fading. You can see those colors kind of coming through. So That is amazing. Yeah. And a, there's no topping that, really. Uh, Jerry, I want to thank you very much for uh, joining me here on the Football Attic. Really appreciate it. Anytime. I, I, you know, I felt like early on admitting that I used to wear a Wilbur Montgomery jersey. Like, I was with a, uh, <laughs> like a, I'm, a, I'm with a psychiatrist, but thanks, John. I appreciate it, man. And great job in the insider, dude. You, you kill it every week. So. Hey, thanks very much. I really appreciate that. Uh, and I appreciate you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time here on the Football Attic. And in the meantime, check out all the other great podcasts here on the Sports History Network and follow me on Twitter at JFG Sports. Until next time, this is John Gidley. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I hope that you enjoyed this recent episode presented by the Sports History Network and were able to learn some good old-fashioned sports history knowledge nuggets. I started the Sports History Network back in 2020 with the mission to help podcasters find a community of like-minded sports history nerds as well as helping aspiring podcasters to start their own shows. We have a little bit over 30 shows on the network right now covering all sorts of sports history, but as far as I'm concerned, we're just at the toothpick in the ocean moment, you know that. Can't even figure it out because there's so much more coming. We wanted to create the ultimate headquarters for sports yesteryear starting with Podcast Network and our website, but we're going to continue to move into other mediums as well. And here's the cool part, because we want you to be part of our team. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast, or maybe being a guest on one of our shows, or who knows, maybe even writing an article for us over on the website. Seriously, all you got to do is reach out to us on the contact page over at sportshistorynetwork.com. You can be as technologically savvy as a Neanderthal tapping on a stone trying to figure out this whole hieroglyphics thing back in the day. Again, it doesn't matter, because even if you don't understand the whole podcast space, we have a production team that can pretty much help you out with doing everything. All you got to do, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com, head to the contact page, fill it out. That message goes right to me, and I'll reach out to you as soon as I can. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through.